Hello, this is Cade Massey, practice professor at the Wharton School. On this week's Wharton Moneyball Highlights show, we talked to Bill Conley. Bill Conley is a writer at ESPN, covers mostly college football, and he's a regular for us on our college football preview show, which we do every year about this time. We had a, about a half-hour conversation with Bill talking about teams and conferences and title races and also a little bit about his analytics. Always a good time talking to Bill Conley. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball here on SiriusXM. This week is going to be our college football preview show. Week zero, dead ahead. Week zero, right now. Weekend zero, dead ahead. We're going to go ahead and jump into the college football preview. Cade Massey hosting with my longtime collaborators, Eric Bradlow and Audie Weiner. Glad to have you guys board Shane Jensen is away this week. Shane will be back. And we're delighted to welcome on for, I don't know, the 37th time, <laughs> Bill Conley. How are you this afternoon, Bill? I'm very good. How are you? Good. Real good. If I'm talking to you, I'm even better. If I'm talking to you because it's college football preview show, <laughs> it's about as good as I can get. Appreciate you making time for us. We know it's a busy time of year for you. What, what, how are you balancing all the things in your head right now? You just mentioned that you've got a U.S. Open that's a tennis tournament <laughs> preview that's launching like tomorrow or something. How do you do that in the middle of this time of the college football calendar? Well, the funny thing about this time in the college football calendar is I've written everything I'm going to write. Um, I usually finish like two weeks early. And so got all the preview stuff out, got all my most important players and ifs list and all the kind of the annual pieces that I do in July and August. Um, and so now we're kind of cramming in some fun other stuff. I do have the tennis piece. I'm, I've got a big soccer overreaction, early season overreaction piece I'm working on. Um, going to do a top 50 high school teams ever list for Friday's uh, high school c- football stuff. And, um, and so this is just this is like creativity time for me. The last second, just get out everything I wanted to do this summer before we actually start doing the week to week stuff. OK, hold on. So one, I want to acknowledge <laughs> that the reason you do that is you start writing these pieces. You, you cover every FBS program and you start yeah. in like February or some absurd thing. So props to you for getting it done. Also, high school, you've already been pushing the limits. You went FBS and then you went FCS. And for all I know, you've gone like division three. Oh, yeah. I got some division three stuff in there. Oh, and now definitely. you're going high school. <laughs> well, this, yeah, this is probably a more of a, a one-off kind of deal. But, you know, last year to celebrate the 50th anniversary of freshmen, true freshmen being eligible to play. Well, I don't know, celebrate. We didn't have a party, but to commemorate it, to commemorate a very big uh, rule change. Um, I did like the top 50 true freshman seasons ever. And so apparently that's the thing. Once a year, I'll revisit something that's more of the recruiting or high schoolish kind of uh, thing. Um, and, and this one just sounded fun. It was one that we had talked about for a while and hadn't ever gotten around to. So I'm getting around to it. Did you say top 50 high school programs or years, high school years, like individual teams. Okay. So what year did you pick for the Odessa Permian Panthers? (laughs) Um, It was 88 Dallas Carter, 89 Odessa Permian. Uh, They're both, they're both on the list, like forties, I think not, not like not top five or anything like that. And it was hard because Texas high school is so in terms of narrative and and known history, it's so much more like we know so much more about Texas high school football than anything else that it became like it was hard not to have a list of with like 27 Texas teams. I had to limit to myself to like 10 and actually share it with the rest of the country. 
Fair enough. But I mentioned Premier, of course, many of you know that that's the school that Friday Night Lights was based on. And that year, the year the book was written, I think was maybe 81. It's probably early 80s. And you come in, you're coming in for the late 80s. I think it was eight. It was 88 because I think it was the Dallas Carter team that I'm talking about. Oh. I hope it is because that's how, that's what I'm going to write about it. It's the, it's the, it's the Dallas Carter team that beats Permian. This is exactly what you expected to talk uh, about <laughs> for having me on. And, um, well, so I, I just want to confess, I was, <laughs> I was thinking I was a few years after the book. I was a few years before the book is what happens. So um, anyway, so yeah, I'm happy to talk Permian football, West Texas football, hundred <laughs> um, percent. Listen, before we dive into teams, you are one of the real um, top analysts in the game and you're probably the highest profile quantitative um, analyst in college football. What, and, and you know, I know how these models work. You did a lot of the work years ago. Every now and then you probably do a pretty healthy rejigger. Every year you're doing minor jiggering. Yeah. How are you thinking about your model right now? Like what, what kind of refinements or what kind of issues or even what kinds of things do you know you're not getting in there that you struggle with? Like what's the frontier for you in your model right now? Yeah, it's as far as frontier goes, like, you know, I don't have any sort of it's not like soccer or maybe some other sports where it's like, I wish I had a player based model. Like that's, that's pretty, that's college football is not going to really ever, I'd be impressed if somebody ever got anywhere incredibly deep with a player based model, or if they can, they're a lot more uh, advanced than I am with this stuff. But I think what I have found in general is just little things like the, the, you know, figuring out how to tamp down the outliers, figuring out how to adjust for opponents. I'm always kind of, reading or just envisioning some other way to do that. And I tinker with it. And this summer I made some reasonably sized tweaks to my historic numbers. Um, but yeah, I think if if somebody can, can get further along with the, at the player level, I, I'm, I, I want to see it because I don't think it's in me to do such a thing. Well, your former colleague, Paul Saban uh, had a college football model ESPN. When he was there, he was trying to crank together something real Bayesian, um, yeah. You know, that's where pro football has gone. And right. there's so many more teams and so many more players in college. It's 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 almost unimaginable to think about putting numbers on yeah. every one of them. But, you know, that's definitely the direction we've we've seen analytics go. I mean, yeah, used to pro pro. I could absolutely see it happen. I just don't know how I mean, I just, my brain can't comprehend the idea of somebody doing it well for college with that many different players. But I could be wrong. Well, Bill, set aside the the analytics of it. Just tracking these players is a challenge yep. enough. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> 2,000 players change schools. 2,000 college football <laughs> players at the FBS level change schools. How? Do, what have you done? I mean, because you do account for, you know, very important part of your model is recruiting rankings, say, yep. or production last year. So, and now all that production is moving from one place to another. Or those recruiting rankings from two years ago are on a different roster now. Yeah. How are you handling all that? Well, the biggest thing is I don't think I can write previews in February anymore. Um, I, you know, cause basically I'll spend, you know, the, the, the calendar hasn't really changed for me. It's usually, you know, the season ends, uh, in like the three weeks or two or three weeks after, um, a- after the football season ends, I'll start playing like updating rosters and changing my spreadsheets to account for all the, you know, the players leaving and all that other stuff and, and figuring out who sent out rosters and try to update those and everything. And then, um, you know, start writing the previews in February, but I had to basically do all that again in July. Once the official rosters were actually official, 
um, right. and update all those things again. And I found like, you know, 10, 15, 20 guys per school uh, that had changed since last time. I wrote an AAC preview, uh, American Athletic Conference preview in late April. And I mentioned, I think within a week and a half, something like eight or nine of the players I had mentioned, including a lot of in the my 10 favorite players section had entered the transfer portal to go to, uh, to a bigger school. Yeah, and yeah, so your top AAC, you've got better schools you can play for. Yeah, no. And it, it just re- like that preview in specific just got wrecked. And so we're going to, we'll see what the plan is for next year, but I don't think I can start these till mid May now. There's just no point because it's just, you know, we, I realize people aren't necessarily demanding 100% accuracy in a Mac preview in like March, um, but I am, and I, I want to know what I'm writing is actually going to last more than a week. And I, I can't, I couldn't handle what was happening this year. Yeah. You yeah. Bill, I was just going to ask you, since we're an analytics show mm-hmm. and now everything's about AI, um, <laughs> is there an opportunity to, do you think in the future to automate a lot of what you do in the sense of whether it's transfer among players or evaluating player video or of players <laughs> based on using automated algorithms and stuff? I'm not saying that we don't want to get rid of the art part of the science, but is there a large part of what you do that you think could be automated in the future? Well, I, I do know that I need to figure out how to, you know, do a better job of scraping rosters and com- like looking at them autom- like automatically and, or, you know, through it in an automated process to, to figure out when things have changed. But no, I think this isn't exactly AI, but I think what we're seeing is as video technology gets a little better and you can right. actually see uniforms a little better uh, companies. I know like stats bomb um, and they're not the only ones are, are doing a lot more with, what amounts to quick player tracking, not like the, you know, you're not wearing the catapult things. You don't have to get that GPS data, but you can just tell on the screen with, with increasing accuracy, how fast somebody's running, how, how fast somebody threw the ball, that kind of thing. And that I think is, I, I think we're getting to a point where, again, this isn't exactly the same thing as AI by any means, but we're getting to the point where we're, there's a lot more automated or very quick data collection. And that's something that I'm I'm not sure how that will change things really like for me, for instance, but I'm kind of, I'm excited about it. I think it'll be really, really interesting if I could get my hands on data like that. It's, it's surely that's going to happen down the road. And surely that'll be a huge saver for you, especially the more these guys move around. Bill, let's, let's put you on the spot uh, on some teams and conferences around the country. Um, let's talk some actual teams. Um at the very highest level, just how do you think about coming in? What do you think is notable just as you look across the entire landscape this year? Like what thematically, thematically, how would you characterize this season? I, it's always interesting to me when all almost all of the top teams change quarterbacks. Um, you know, some years that that's a theme one way or the other. Some years, a lot of them don't, some years, a lot of them do. And this is a, this is a do here because just looking at like my SP plus projections, number one's Georgia, new quarterback. Number two is Ohio state, new quarterback. Number four, Alabama, number six, Penn state, number seven, Clemson, number eight, Tennessee, all have new quarterbacks. Um, you know, there are plenty of veterans, especially out in the pac 12, um, a lot of them are saddled with really bad defenses, which um, is why they're not, they weren't in the top seven or eight or whatever that I just mentioned. But, um, but that means that's an opportunity for some sort of change. Some of those guys, some of the new quarterbacks, we're, we're, we see new starting quarterbacks win the Heisman all the time, win the national title all the time, but not all of them are going to be awesome. 
And um, every single time you change that, like when you change a head coach or coordinator or anything else, it's a, it's a chance for, for a drop off, if nothing else. And so curious who clears these hurdles well and who, um, you know, who, who kind of starts over this year. Well, you make a good point. I was about to jump in just, but, but let me just say, you make a good point because some of them will be fine, but yeah. we pretty sure all of them won't be. And right. so it's likely that quarterback trouble, here's a simple way to think about it. And I've, haven't heard this quite said. We can be pretty sure that the quarterback situation is going to take one of those teams, one of those high, high yeah. teams. I mean, people talk about Penn State, Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia, top three talented rosters in the country, all new quarterbacks. Quarterback trouble is probably going to take one of those teams out. Yep. And that's uh, that's that's interesting and refreshing, frankly. Adi. And and honestly, sorry, the the most the, the, the team I have the most questions about of those is Alabama. And I'm not used yeah. to that. I'm not used yeah. to saying that sentence yeah. ever. Um, yeah. I mean, it, like, just look at the simple fact that, you know, I think I've been projecting teams since like 2009 or so. I don't remember the first year I did preseason projections. I don't know if I've ever had Alabama lower than second and they're right. fourth this year. So that alone yeah. is just a, right. an enormous development, even if they're still going to be absurdly talented across the board. Right. So my question is probably focused on what you might call confidence intervals in your prediction <laughs> predictions, but the more, more, I guess, uh, specific question is how do you know enough about a quarterback to get an accurate forecast with all these quarterbacks moving around in their college? And, you know, there's so much system and, and, and team dependencies. And uh, yeah. what, what do you, what do you, what are you saying here when we know quarterbacks are so important? So how much accuracy do you have? Well, I, you know, what's funny about college football, and this could be changing, the, the transfer portal and everything else could be kind of changing this landscape. But, I mean, the the best thing about college football in general has been that, you know, if we're talking about Alabama's uh, starting a new uh, quarterback, he's probably going to be awesome. Ohio State, he's almost definitely going to be awesome. It really is the recruiting effects and Ooh. the systems that these top schools have in place where you just – there's so many five-star receivers they're going to be thrown to. They're going to be protected by four-star offensive linemen. You just, the, the situation is so friendly and there, you know, whoever wins that race is going to be a four-star guy who beat out two other four-star guys that just kind of, we know in general that these guys are going to be really good. And even Alabama, I said, I had questions about Alabama. It's going to be four-star Tyler Bookner versus four-star Jalen uh, Milrow versus either four or five-star Ty Simpson. They, nobody's come along. Now, I don't think it's going to be a drop off from Bryce young by all accounts, but he's probably going to be awesome. Whoever it is. And they're going to, their floor is probably nine wins or, or 10 um, no matter what. So that really is, we, we don't necessarily know that like the breakout stars that, that pop up sometimes. Um, but when you're a five-star guy beating out other five-star guys at a five-star school, you're probably going to be really good. And, and that's, that's, that's more confident than it should be, but that's the way it's been. So, Bill, maybe my question, just following up on Adi's, is trying to get an idea of magnitude of effect size. So, for example, I think most people would say, at least preseason, the likely best quarterback in college football could be Caleb Williams, right? right. USC. Yeah. Is that enough that you, if I told you at the end of the season USC was number one because he just outplayed those other quarterbacks, is there enough, I'll call it, 
exceedance for Caleb Williams to make up the difference between, let's call it the sixth or seventh ranked USC team and these better teams? Or no, he'd have to have the greatest college football season ever in mankind to make up that difference. Well, knowing um, Lincoln Riley's history of defense, yeah, he would have to have the greatest quarterback <laughs> season in the history of mankind uh, to get to number one. I mean, he won the Heisman last year and I, you know, USC, I don't remember where I think only they only got into the twenties in SP plus last year. They had like the number one defense and an eighty something uh, or the number one offense and an eighty something defense. And you know that's partially that's Lincoln Riley's history. He's only had a good defense once, and it was in the COVID year. Um, he really believes in his defensive coordinator Alex Grinch. But you know what I've said about Alex Grinch is if he has three great pass rushers, he'll figure everything out. But if any defensive coordinator in the country has three great pass rushers, he's probably going to have a good defense too. So I don't, wow. if we're ranking like replacement value coordinators here, I'm not real sure uh, that, that Alex Grinch would rank very high on that list, but Riley hasn't built that culture. Uh, so this is an either. important, I think for our listeners, this is an <clears throat> important statistical point. You're saying there isn't really enough exceedance, even in the most right. important position, that's going to make up for even the number six or seven team to potentially reach number one. Right. And but, you know, I, I guess on the flip side of that, if they even have like a top 30 defense, they're a top five team. Because their offense is pretty much – if he's in the lineup, their offense is going to be awesome. Because, I, you know, I just said bad things about Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley is is one of the two or three best offensive coaches in the country on the other side of that. Uh, and Caleb Williams is is an absolutely awesome – he really does – I hate comparing guys to, to NFL greats, but he gives you such Patrick Mahomes vibes when he starts to leave the pocket and improvise. And it's just the scariest thing in the world uh, if you're rooting against USC anyway. And – um so that's that's kind of the other side of that is, you know, Alabama typically has top 10 offensive defense. Georgia typically has top fifth, you know, top five defense and top 15 offense or whatever. USC doesn't need that. They just need a good defense, not a great one for them to be a legitimate, if at least contender to make the playoff, if not actually win it. The way you're talking about it, it really does sound like some of those peak Oklahoma teams he had. Yeah. We're yeah. way good enough to get into the playoffs and then almost good enough to win a playoff game, but not quite there. Maybe Grinch, you know, Grinch, they've been together for enough years, maybe, and they've done pull some guys out of the portal. Maybe there'll be yeah. enough defense there. I mean, Eric, you, you picked exactly the right school to ask you a question. <laughs> Let's hit another one other conference that I feel like you've generally got a pretty good beat on Penn State. You you and your, your Franklin, your buddy Franklin usually have a little <laughs> insight on that. How do you see – Give us the regular season Eastern Division final standings. Yeah, what order I, those three teams in? I love not being sure about this um, because, you know, even though it's the same teams we always talk about, it, it's a lot more fun when there's uncertainty and you've got three teams that – are are in very different situations than they were. You know, Ohio State suddenly is going through an existential crisis because they've lost, what, three, four games the last two years. Oh, my God, everything's falling apart. But two of those were to Michigan. Um, and so, therefore, Ryan Day's in a weird spot. They have all this offensive talent, but everybody's kind of questioning him now, and there's a, a funk around the program. And poor C.J. Stroud was like, oh, I'm always going to be remembered as the guy who lost to Michigan twice and all that last year. <laughs> Yes. Um, but they're also going to be awesome. Uh, Michigan's going to be awesome. I don't, I still don't trust their receivers in their pass rush. So I can't, 
as far as upside goes, I still don't know if they have Georgia level upside, but their floor is the highest in the country, most likely with the way he's just methodically built everything. So they're kind of the sure thing, even if they don't have quite as much upside. And then here comes Penn State with like the greatest sophomore class of all time. Um, well, <laughs> non-Alabama, Georgia, whatever edition, their best sophomore class in a very, very long time yep. um, with a couple of like two of the the 10 best running backs in the country are sophomores. They have one of the best linebackers in the country who's a sophomore. They, and now they, they're handing the reins to Drew Aller, the you know Paul Bunyan-sized quarterback uh, and five-star prospect um, who – it really seems like this is a, as much just raw upside as Penn state has had in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And, you know, I don't, they're really interesting this year. They might be even more interesting next year when all those sophomores are juniors, but, and, and you know, maybe change has come to Michigan, Ohio state will be awesome again, obviously, but, um, but they do, they are this massive wild card because they probably have more upside than upside than Michigan at this point. They're just not nearly as proven. Um, they might not be nearly as proven physically in the trenches, especially, uh, and maybe that still makes the difference, but you can really see a range of outcomes when you hand the reins to a, so- uh, a, an unproven massive upside sophomore, a lot of different scenarios play out and a couple of them are Penn State being really really playoff level good if you had to name them one two three regular season I'm still I guess I think Ohio State's going to be a hair better than Michigan but Michigan's playing Ohio State at home so I guess that means Michigan Ohio State Penn State um but every all every iteration of that is possible the second team there is going to be a strong, in all likelihood, going to be a strong candidate for one of those playoff yeah. spots. It's going to be it's just like it was last year. It's going to be tough to turn them down. Bill, we want to ask you a question. We'll end on a question here that we, we like to play with in various sports. I don't remember if we've done this in college football or not, but Eric suggested, I think he's spot on. How many teams would you need to, to give us the field and who's going to win the whole thing, national championship, and make it a fair bet? How, how many teams would you need if you give us the field and to be, and we kind of, you'd, you'd be happy to, to make that an even bet. So I'm not going to just say Georgia versus the field. Um, we'll take the field. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I, I me too. Um, teams don't three peat. That's what I've been. I realize that's not scientific, but just, <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Therefore it doesn't have to happen this year. Um, Reminds me about the two bombs on the plane joke. <laughs> that's right <laughs> um if you want to avoid two you know a bomb on the plane bring bring one on therefore you won't have two <laughs> uh okay how about three i'll say georgia ohio state michigan um and give the field alabama with its random quarterback things and, and lsu and these other teams but i'll take georgia ohio state michigan which one are you taking there that's remarkable that is so concentrated. I mean, in other sports, we're forever, you know, going quite a bit deeper and arguing yep. for going even deeper than it feels. Yep. So how does that one feel to you, boys? Adi, Eric, you want the field? We Are you still interested in the field if you give Bill Georgia, Michigan, and Ohio State? No. <laughs> I, think I'm, I'm, I think I'm taking those three. You want those three? I'll take the field on principle. Um, on principle. I mean, you really – field is 50%, right? So – yeah. Yeah, and uh, those three, I think, have a lot of the problem. What are the What are the current odds? I don't know. What What's I don't know. We I I don't have massive Peabody numbers in front of me, but that's I don't know. It sounds kind of it sounds strong. I know. I I just looked at mine. I my friend Justin Moore. Um, 
he he's been helping me with like the the, the bigger uh simulations and everything and and he's cr- created his own like heuristics for who makes the playoff who wins it and all that uh based on sp plus and he has those three teams at 41 percent combined yeah. and then you add alabama and it's 51 i i want that to be true it feels too low <laughs> feels like those three should be like 78 percent. Yeah, it does especially um, for winning it's one thing to make yeah. the playoffs because we get right. wild cards in and it could be anybody and so the chance of someone making a playoff is extraordinary how, yeah. how many people can make the playoff but to win it is another yeah. thing yeah my, uh, you're right at, you're right at 50 percent, bill by the way just okay. using the betting odds you're okay. right there yeah maybe slight maybe you have 52 48 but it's right there yeah all right guys we're going to let bill go uh bill thanks for making time for us we know it's a busy time for you even if your business is <laughs> shockingly right. tennis right now um enjoy the enjoy the calm as we roll into actual football but um good luck to you getting the season off the ground bill Conley. ESPN, S&P Plus, one of the best college football writers, observers around and a longtime friend of the show. That has been our college football preview for the 2023 season for the whole crew. Audie Weiner, Eric Bradlow, Shane Jensen, and Absentia, boss man, Matty Dats, the associate boss man, Deion Simpkins. This has been Cade Massey. Thanks for listening. Come back and join us next time. Between now and then, enjoy your sports. <laughs> <laughs>